doing a series called Hashtag Blessed, and today is uh, the sixth week of the series, and I'm going to talk to you today about the big why. The big why. Why is it God wants you to be so blessed. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the privilege we have to come into your presence. Lord, thank you for your presence here in our midst. It's so refreshing to worship you and experience your peace and joy in our lives. And Father, we thank you that you have a word for us today. You desire to speak to our hearts today. And we thank you, Lord, that you have given us the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you for opening up the eyes of our understanding, opening up our ears, and cause our heart to be receptive to what you desire to say to us today. We'll be careful to give you all the glory and all the honor for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The big why. Why is it that God wants to make you and I a blessing? It's not enough just to be blessed. But as Pastor Mo was sharing in the offering, God wants to make you a blessing. This is the big why. God wants to make you a blessing. And when we say God wants to make you a blessing, what does that mean? It means this. He wants to make you an instrument of his divine favor in other people's lives. It's not enough for you to just receive the blessing, but he wants you to pass on the blessing that he has placed in your life. And we don't become a blessing and an influence overnight. It's something we grow into. We first must experience for ourselves firsthand the blessing that we have been talking about these past few weeks. It comes from first having an understanding in your heart as to what God has done through Jesus on the cross, through his death and burial and resurrection, what he has done for you and I personally. We have to come into an understanding of what God has done for us, a personal revelation. Secondly, we need to have a paradigm shift in our thinking as it relates to money to things, possessions, wealth, all of that, there needs to be a paradigm shift. And so let's begin with the revelation that needs to be in your lap today. This is something you need to embrace. You need to understand. It needs to be alive, rich, and personal to you. And that is this, that you are blessed. Say, I'm blessed. You are blessed. God has placed his blessing upon your life. We go back some 3,500 years ago when God made a covenant with a man by the name of Abram. And he gave him these words in Genesis 12, 2 and 3. He said, Abraham, or Abram, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great. And you shall be a what? A blessing. Verse 3, he says, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, Abram, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God placed his blessing upon Abram's life for the purpose of not just being a recipient of the blessing, but being a pipeline of the blessing. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Just look at the nation of Israel today. 
Within a span of short 70 years, Israel has become the eighth, ranked eighth powerful nation in the world today. How did that happen? God said, I will make your nation great. That's what he told him. And we're seeing that taking place right in our eyes as God is bringing the Jewish people back into the land, reestablishing the nation. Amen. They're the number one exporter of produce to Europe. They provide power to Egypt, power to Jordan. They are, they are uh, a force to be reckoned with in the Middle East. Now, that's God's doing. That's proof to us that God is faithful to perform His Word in the nation of Israel. And if He's faithful to perform His Word in the nation of Israel, guess what? He's faithful to perform His Word in your life. Let's make this personal. Where do we come into the picture? Right here in Galatians chapter 3. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, it tells us this. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having been, become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Speaks of his death, his crucifixion. He took our place. Now, for what purpose? Verse 14 tells us that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. There it is. There's you right there. That the blessing of Abraham might come on us, us Gentiles. That's us. Say, that's me. The blessing of Abraham has been transferred onto your life the moment you accepted the work that Jesus did on the cross for you. You are the blessed of the Lord. You've been blessed by the highest authority in the universe. God himself has proclaimed his blessing upon your life. If you look at the Old Testament, we have precedent set in the Old Testament. That blessing worked on Abraham's life, his son Isaac, and his grandson Jacob, right in through the nation of Israel. All through the Old Testament, you can find God's faithfulness to heal, to provide, to, to bring victory over Israel's enemies. Amen. When Abraham received that blessing, he also received healing for his body. He received a miracle in his body. He received a, a, a victory over those that were trying to, to destroy his family. He had victory in warfare, victory in battle. He was victorious because of the blessing that was upon his life. And God continued to provide increase. When we talk increase, we're talking an increase in cash flow, increase in income, increase in material things, increase in influence. That's what Abraham had. That went on from one generation to the next. To Isaac, he experienced a hundredfold return in the time of famine. Jacob, he had his situation turned around financially because he acknowledged God. Israel experienced wealth in abundance at the time of Solomon's reign. They experienced the fulfillment of this blessing we're talking about this morning. And that blessing has come upon your life. And it will manifest in your healing, in your provision, and in your victory for your life, for you and your family and your future. Amen. God has established that. That is an established fact. Regardless of what you see in your life, regardless of the lack that you might be dealing in your life, regardless of the bills or the debt you might be dealing with in your life, regardless of what has been declared over you in your life, this goes contrary to all of that. 
What are you going to do with the promise that God has given to you? Here's your starting point. You need to believe what God said and say what God said over what you're viewing on this horizontal level in your circumstances. You need to believe and you need to speak. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 4.13. Since we having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore we speak. That's your starting point when it comes to operating in the blessing that God has placed upon your life. You've got to believe it. Above your circumstance, what you see and what's been declared to you by your past or your friends or your parents, regardless of that, you need to believe. I'm blessed. You need to say, I'm blessed. You need to stop talking about your problems and start declaring the solution that God placed in his word for you. You need to declare in the face of opposition, I'm blessed. Amen. You need to talk more. And not just any talk, because some people talk too much. You need to talk the Word of God. You need to talk the promises of God. That's your starting point to walking in the blessings of God. Jesus explained this to his disciples as he was coming into the city. He cursed the fig tree, and they marveled at, at, at his faith working in the cursing of the fig tree. And he said, boys, listen, have faith in God. Mark eleven twenty two. 22. I like the amplified version. It says, have the God kind of faith. This is how God operates. He operates. How did he speak exist? How did he speak, uh, create? How did he bring creation about? By speaking it. And so Mark eleven twenty two, 22, Jesus said, have faith in God or have the God kind of faith. For truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, that's your obstacle. That's your problem. Be removed and cast into the sea. And if he does not doubt in his heart, but believes, everybody say believes. If he believes that what he's saying will come to pass, he's going to have what he's saying. But you got to believe it first. You got to be convinced of it first. Some of us have been staring at the problem for way too long. And we've been hearing people say things or circumstances say things to us for too long and we haven't replied. We need to reply with faith, with what we believe God has spoken to us. And we need to declare it in the face of contradictory circumstances. Everyone that perhaps you've seen testimonies of others who've experienced the blessing of God, their starting point was right here at this place. They had contradictory circumstances. They had to believe and they had to speak. You have to line up with what God has said about your life if you want to experience change. Change just doesn't happen. You're the facilitator of the change you want in your life. And it begins with the rudder of your ship, your tongue. It's so simple to, to get this process moving, but you have to get it moving. We speak. We believe. I speak. Excuse me. I got that flipped around. I believe. Therefore, I speak. Say it with me. I believe. Therefore, I speak. It's a lifestyle adjustment. Amen. 
Now, there's some paradigm shifts Pastor has been talking to us about as far as understanding the blessed life, being blessed and being a blessing. And I want to give you four paradigm shifts, four shifts that we need to make in our thinking when it concerns money and things and possessions and wealth. The first shift that we need to make is this. Your heart must be established in truth. Your heart must be established in truth. Pastor shared this with us. He said, living a blessed life does not begin with more money in your pocket, but more word in your heart. That's where prosperity begins. That's where living a blessed life begins is you have to have your heart, your mind, your will, your emotions anchored in the truth. Amen. This is where you make a commitment that God's word is going to be final authority in my life. That circumstances, my past and my situations do not dictate to me what my future is going to be like. That's not my final authority. My final authority is what God has declared in his word about me. Now, there's a wonderful scripture in 3 John 2. It's given by the beloved Apostle John, John, who was the closest of the disciples to Jesus, I would think one being so close to Jesus would really understand the heart of God for us. Would you agree? Listen to what John said. And this is coming from his heart. This was his heart's desire for the disciples that followed him. And his heart represents God's heart for you and I today. He said, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, even as your soul prospers. He said, I pray, I desire, I wish, I long that you would prosper in all things. The prosper means to, to make progress in, to have success, to achieve to accomplish. He wants us to prosper in all things. Number one, in our relationship with God, with our relationship with our spouse, with fellow believers, relationships in general, and with our desires, our dreams, the things we desire to achieve in our life for our families and our futures. He said, I pray that you would achieve, uh, that you would prosper, that you would do well, that you would accomplish in all things and be in health. Everybody say health. This word health in the Greek is the Greek word hugianio, hugianio. And what it means is to be uncorrupt, to be uncorrupt, to be true in doctrine. Listen to what this is saying. This is saying in order for you to prosper in all things, your soul, your heart has to be anchored in truth. It has to be uncorrupted. Now, in life, there are many things that corrupts us. Disappointments, offenses, lies, misconceptions about God. All these things that we kind of accrue through life experiences, they have, a, they have a habit of nestling somewhere. Where do they nestle? They nestle in your heart. You've ever been offended by someone? <clears throat> And, you know, a few months later, you wake up and you're thinking about that offense. And for some of us, we begin to nurture that offense. 
We begin to feed that offense and to let our imagination take over. Think about how we can plan their undoing and get back and, come on, you're looking at me very holy right now. You know what I'm talking about. We nurture that offense. And listen, that offense is going to limit you from prospering. That, that offense is going to limit you from doing well and achieving what God has for your life. Same thing is true with lies and, and misconceptions, uh, you know, from the past. Maybe we've been taught wrong about God. Those things need to be taken out of the soul. How do we do that? We put good doctrine into the soul. We put truth into the soul. And so in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, God told Joshua he was about to set up uh, doing something real big. He was going to step into Moses' shoes. And he was going to bring the children of Israel into the land of promise. He had something to accomplish. But there's something he had to do that would facilitate success in his life. Joshua 1.8. God instructed Joshua. He said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall what? Meditate in it day and night. That's talking lifestyle, 24 and 7. That you may observe to do what's written in it. Now, the word observe here is an interesting word. And it means to watch. It means you become the watchman over your life. When you begin to meditate on the word of God, God gave you the power of will the power to choose. And when you meditate on the Word of God, you begin to discern what is good, what is right for you, and what is not good, and what is not right for you. Amen. 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 And so as you're meditating on the Word day and night, you're thinking about how God's Word applies to your life. All of a sudden, wisdom comes to make the right decisions, to choose the right paths for your life. You set yourself up for good success. So we need to meditate day and night. That means feeding on the Word of God, reading the Word of God, speaking the Word of God over yourself, writing scriptures down, committing it to memory. All those good disciplines will get your soul anchored in truth. For what purpose? So you can be the watchman over your life. Listen, God puts you in charge over your life. You are responsible for the outcomes of your future. You have no one to blame for your failures except you. Because you can't blame God. God is perfect. He loves you. He's not going to set you up for failure. We set ourselves up for failure by not taking care of the engine that drives our life, our soul, our heart, our mind, our will, our emotions. Those need to be anchored in God's word. How many know that takes time? It'd be great if you could just, you know, like the Matrix, when they download those things and the person also becomes a, 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 an Apache pilot flying. A, that doesn't happen that way. You wish you could just download the truth and bam, there you are, man and women of faith and power, faith and power, right? doesn't happen that way. We grow into these things. Notice what it says on the second half of that verse. For then you will make your way prosperous didn't say God will make your way prosperous. He said you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Amen. So God puts the ball in our court, doesn't he? Yes. Amen. Amen. So we need to, to recognize this first thing when it comes to being blessed and being a blessing. We need to have the word as final authority in our life. We need to have our hearts anchored in the truth. 
Paradigm shift number two. Money is your servant, not your master. Money is your servant, not your master. Pastor Jonathan shared this with us. How you handle your money reveals volumes about your priorities, your loyalties, and your affections. Amen. Just open up the checkbook. We'll find what you're passionate about. We'll find out what your, where your heart is. We find all these payments made to ESPN and tickets to this game, tickets to that game, and all these entertainment channels and all this. And we know where your heart is. Sports and entertainment. Come on, don't look at me that way. We look in your checkbook and we see, huh, let's see here. We've got, <clears throat> we've got cars, we've got auto shop, we've got detailing, we've got everything related to automobiles, racetracks. We know what you're involved in. We know what you're passionate about. Cars, car racing. Hello? Well, let's say we take a look at your finance and we see, oh, seed sown to International Family Church, seed sown to World Missions, helping this person with the bill here. We see that you're passionate and you're rich towards God. Amen. Not saying that we can't have other pursuits. You understand what I'm saying. But your passion, where your heart is, will be evidenced by where the money flows in your life, what priorities you have set concerning your money. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 21. He says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus said that. It's in red print. Wherever the money trail is, God looks at that and says, I know where your heart is. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters for he, he will either hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. It's not possible. You can't have the two on the same priority. God has to be first in your life. He has to be the object of your trust. Paul told Timothy to command those that are rich. In 1 Timothy 6, 17, he says, charge those who are rich in this world that they don't become conceited or inflated with pride. Listen, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. There it is right there. That's the shift we have to make. Don't trust in your position at that company. Don't trust in the promotion that you may got up that corporate ladder in the company. Don't trust, uh, you know, your 401k or how much money you have in the bank or how nice and comfortable that. Don't put your trust in those things because they can change in a moment. But put your trust in God because He never changes. What He said 3,500 years ago applies to you and He will perform it in your life today. Do you remember the rich young ruler? Remember the story of the rich young ruler? Now here was a man. He was righteous. He applied the Word of God to his life and as a result, he got blessed. He was wealthy. He was rich. And he came to Jesus and says, I've done all the commandments. And Jesus saw the person in his life. He saw that he didn't have money, but money had him. And he said to him, if you desire to be perfect and complete, then give away what you have and come follow me. And what happened? He left 
grieved in his heart. Why was he grieved in his heart? Because money had control over his life. As money came in, as wealth came in and possessions came in, he switched his object of trust from God to money and it became a snare for his life. And so he could only go so far with God. Amen. Do you remember the story that Jesus gave, the parable of the, the rich man who had built for himself a great life? He had barns. He had fields. He had plenty. I, have, I get the picture of, you know, it's like the old farmer guy with the suspenders and he's just like this. Wow, self, look at all this stuff. Hey, me, look what I did. Got all this stuff, barns of plenty. What did God say? You fool. Tonight, you're going to breathe your last breath. And he wasn't prepared for eternity. How many people do we know like that today? Listen, we need to make God the object of our trust. Amen. When we make God the object of our trust, our priorities will line up with God. Amen. Jesus said, a man's life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. Here's the deception about wealth. When you look at someone who's wealthy, doesn't mean that they're well off. They could have all kinds of problems in their life. Wealth is not a good indication of your relationship with God and your spiritual well-being. Amen. Amen. But when we put our trust in God and not money or things or the, the, the things that our economy provides for us, then our priorities will line up with God. Just as Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things, everybody say things, they'll be added to you. You won't have to hustle for it. You won't have to break your back for it. But as you put God first, He will begin to progressively bring those provisions into your life. Amen. Paradigm shift number three. And this is big too. God's plan for your money begins with your tithe. God's plan for your money begins with the tithe. Listen, the plan for your money, it's in the tithe. It's in the tithe. And that's where we begin. Malachi 3.10, you can't get around this verse. You can't skirt around it. This, this, is, this is God's plan for your money. Say, my money. It's in the tithe. All right, Malachi 3.10. Bring all the tithes. Now, God is speaking to a nation that turned away from him, and he's calling them back to him. And one of the things they turned away was they, they turned from trusting God to now trusting things and money. God said to Israel, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and test me now in this. Listen to what God says. This is the only place in the whole Bible where God gives us an express command to test him in a particular thing. Test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven, that there will not be room enough to receive it. The word test here is the Hebrew word bakan, and it means to examine, scrutinize, or prove. Just as gold is tested with fire to prove its quality, God invites you and I to test His faithfulness to bless us materially by participating in tithes and offerings. Think about it. You get, dig up some gold, 
you put it in the crucible and you put the fire on it, what comes out of that crucible? All the dirt is taken out. Everything's taken out. What's left? It's pure gold. And when you put your life in the crucible and you, you put this thing to test and the fires, contradictory circumstances come to your life and those fires are applied to your act of obeying God in tithing and giving, what comes out? Pure faithfulness from God. He is faithful to perform His Word in your life. Now, God said, try me in this. How do we do this? You can't confess it. You can't think about it. You have to do it. You don't discover the power of the tithe until you actually step out and do it. Now, look at, I would encourage you, especially young people that are starting out in life, look at the life of Jacob. Jacob knew about tithing from Grandpa Abraham and from his dad, Isaac. Amen. He knew about it. It was practiced and probably was talked about. He also heard about the promises God made to his grandfather and to his father. But now he was launching out on his own. And as he starts his journey, he goes to a place called Luz. And he lays down and takes a, takes a, a sleep. And during his sleep, he has an encounter with God. God visits him in a very powerful way. And he begins to speak to Isaac the same, uh, excuse me, he begins to speak to Jacob the same words he spoke to Isaac and the same words he spoke to Abraham. He said, Jacob, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a blessing and I'm going to make your nation great and I'm going to make your seed great. This became a personal revelation to Jacob. He had a rhema from God. You know what a rhema is? A rhema is when you get a scripture you found in your Bible and it lifts off the page and it speaks to you. And you get such a profound sense of peace that, man, God's here. He's speaking to me. That's what Jacob had. He had an encounter with the Most High God. And this is what he said when he woke up. He said, this is a dreadful place. That word dreadful means awesome. When he had an encounter with God, his eyes opened wide. He says, wow, God is awesome. You ever had an encounter with God? Where you walked away from that experience and say, Ooh, my God is awesome. Do you ever have an answer to prayer and all of a sudden you just say, man, my God is awesome. He came through in a pinch. What a breakthrough. That's what Jacob experienced. He had an encounter with God. He had fresh revelation from God. He felt the presence of God. He felt raw power. As God spoke to him, this wasn't dad's blessing. This wasn't, wasn't God, a grandpa's blessing. This was now God speaking to Jacob personally. This was now his blessing. He walked from that place called Luz. He named it Bethel, the house of God. And you know what he did? He responded to that encounter. He responded to that rhema. He poured oil over it. He built, he built a, a pile of rocks. He poured oil over it, and then he made a vow to God. What did he vow? 
Well, he heard God speak to him. And he said, since God is going to be in my way and in my journey, then I vow today that from this point forward, I'm going to give a tenth of all that comes into my household. He made a dedication to tithe his income to God. This was a faith response. God didn't come down to Jacob in that encounter and says, Jacob, I want you to tithe, give 10% of your income. No, that's not what he said. He said, I'm going to promise you, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make your name great. And how did a, uh, Jacob respond? He responded in faith. Tithing is a faith response to what God has promised you in his word. That means you and I have to have an encounter. You tithe, not because Pastor Jonathan says so, or I say so, or someone on TV says so, or anyone says so, or your parents say so. You need to tithe because you've heard from God. You've had an encounter with God. You recognize that you're in covenant, and you recognize that God has placed His blessing upon your life. Can I get an amen? amen. You can look at the life of Jacob. And I would encourage you to study his life, what happened in his life. You know, Jacob was a conniver. He was a deceiver. I mean, he had some, you know, the Bible just tells everything like it is, right? And all the goods, it's the bads, the ugly. And, and, you know, there was a character default in his life. In Jacob's life, he was a deceiver. He tried to work things around for his own good, for his own favor. Amen. He tried to play politics so that he could get what he wanted to get. Amen. That was that got him in trouble with his uncle Laban. And he found himself working twice as long for his uncle. And he found himself at the short end of the stick. And read the story. God gave him a creative idea how to turn his financial situation around. And that happened because he was a tither. That happened because he recognized his covenant. Amen. I can only tell you from our own experience, Cheryl and I over the years... As tithers and givers, what happened to us when we first got married? We were, you know, both young adults, newly married, and, you know, both had lots of debt, but we had faith in God's promises. When I heard about tithing, the first time I heard about tithing, I just thought, that's a no-brainer. After all that Jesus did for my life, Setting me free, cleansing me from my sin, giving me a future. Come on, somebody. The least that I could do was give a tenth. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. This is going to set you free, whether you like it or not. Amen. Come on. The first thing that came into my life personally was peace. I grew up in a household where there was a lot of talk around the dinner table about taxes, about money, about, you know, there was just this overwhelming anxiety about money, 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 money. You ever worry about money? Come on, confess it. Say you did. We've all done it. Something we deal with every day. Money, money, money answers all things. The uh, proverb says it's a constant source of worry and anxiety. And that was the case for me. You know, what about my life? Where am I going? Didn't know what I was called to do. 
How am I going to provide for myself? What's my next step? All these concerns, all these fears. But when I began to respond to the covenant that God gave to me, when I began to respond to, to His promises in my, my life by giving Him a tenth, there came this heavenly peace when it came to money, finances. I had a divine assurance on the inside of my life that God is not only in my present, He's also in my future. And he's going to orchestrate my future so that it comes out on my behalf. I'm going to be on top, fully resourced, fully funded. That peace brings us to a rest where we're no longer trying to politic for ourselves, but we're allowing God to do the work for us. He is the one that sets us up for opportunities. You know, after that peace came, then came wisdom. You know, it's very hard for you to hear the voice of God when you're conflicted, when you're overwhelmed with anxiety, when you're relying on other things to give you a source of peace. You've got to get to the place of peace in your heart where you know that God loves you and cares for you and that he'll provide for your future. Amen. Amen. And when you have that peace, that's when you begin to hear God's instructions and strategies concerning your finances. That's where you get the wisdom of God for your situation. That's where you find out what you need to do. And then, after favor, on the coattails of favor, comes favor. When you begin to operate in the wisdom of God, God's favor will begin to make ways for you that you could not make ways for yourself. That's the truth. Look at Daniel's life. Look at others in the Old Testament. They had the wisdom of God first operating on the inside. You got to get that working first before the favor comes that works on the outside. You have control on what's inside of you, but you don't have control on what goes on around you. But if you get control of what's happening on the inside of you, get the wisdom of God in you, then God will take care of the things that surround your life. He'll begin to orchestrate things in your favor. That's what happens when you lay the foundation in your financial life for tithing. I could say, you know, both for Cheryl and I, things were tight at the beginning. And, you know, we've had challenges. You know, you have challenges with health bills. You have challenges with layoffs, stuff like that, that, you know, gets people in fear and anxiety. We've gone through all of that. But one of the things I can see progressively over our life over the past 30 years, this is what tithing did for us. It created financial margin in our life. It created space in our life where now we could become a blessing. We could help someone stave off foreclosure on their house. We could help someone with a car so they have transportation. We could help someone in a pinch who was discouraged and give them a, a big fat check that, that ministered to them, wow, God is awesome. And those opportunities that have come to us that way, we would not be able to take advantage of those opportunities if we first did not lay the foundation for tithing. Amen. Praise God. That's good preaching, Pastor Tom. Amen. So important. And then the final shift in our thinking is this. Live to give. Live to give. Tap someone to the next left of you. Tell them, live to give. 
Tap someone to the right to live to give. Come on. This is where you get total joy, total fulfillment, total significance, total sense of purpose. Now you have come into a place of maturity. You are one who lives to give. Amen. Listen to what Pastor Jonathan says. There's no greater joy than to live your life committed to blessing others. That's what he said. There's no greater joy than to live your life being committed, committed to the blessing of others. I remember when Pastor John Tash uh, would come and minister uh, Family Matters and other special events we had over the years. He was a, a fiery preacher. I'd preach to the kids, and I remember our kids coming home with these boxes. They would assemble these cardboard boxes and color them up, and, and, and on one side, there'd be a big J, and on another side of the box, there'd be a big O, and then on another side of the box, you had a Y. What does that spell? So my question is, and he would present this, how do you spell Joy. How do you spell joy? I'm giving you a question, audience. How do you spell joy? Jesus, others, and you. When you have that priority, now that's so simple, a child could get it. Isn't that what we teach our children? Jesus first. Share with your brother. Share with your sister. Hello. And we have Jesus as the extreme example of a life that was given 100%. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich, fully supplied, blessed. Think of what Jesus went through just prior to the cross. There he was in the garden of Gethsemane, praying with even sweating blood, anguished over what he was about to do. He said, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. And he prayed. Gethsemane means olive press. As he was in the garden praying, he was pressing through. And as he pressed through, an angel ministered to him and gave him strength to walk up Golgotha's hill where he was nailed to a cross and humiliated before the world and made poverty for you and I so that we could ascend God's hill and receive prosperity and blessing and healing and wholeness Oh, my goodness, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the graciousness of our God, the kindness of our God, the love, the benevolence, the compassion of our God, all demonstrated through the life of Jesus. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know it experientially. We're coming into a fuller understanding of His love and His grace for us. The more you let God love on you and show His grace to you, guess what? It's going to reciprocate in your life. 
You're going to become more like Jesus. You're, you're going to say, it's not enough to be blessed. It, it, it just doesn't matter anymore. How can I be a blessing? Because once you taste that flow of demonstrating grace, being kind, being gracious, being compassionate, that, that becomes addicting. It brings such joy and, and fulfillment and, 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 and significance into your life. That's the end game for you and I. That's the end game. Not just to be blessed. And make no mistake about it, God wants you to be fully blessed. But to become a blessing. Amen? God wants us to discover the joy of giving. What happens when you become a generous person that God can use? You become an instrument of His divine favor to someone else. God designed this concept, living to give, to be a win-win situation. God's not manipulative. He's not controlling. He doesn't use gimmicks. No, God works from the inside out. He bestows His grace upon us. And when it comes to giving, God set it up as a win-win situation. Giving is an expression of your love, a sign that God's grace is working inside you. And it's also God's opportunity for you to increase even more. The scripture talks about abounding. That word abounding means excess. Everybody say excess means overflow, means your cup overflowing. It means affluence. It means wealth. It's mean more than what, what you know what to do with. I close with this scripture that Pastor Mo shared with us during the offering time. Let's look at it in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10 and verse 11. I close with this scripture. Here's the win-win situation described here in this verse. Paul said, Now he who provides seed for the sower... He's talking about God. And bread for food will provide and multiply your seed for sowing. That is your resources. So he's going to provide and multiply your resources. And then he's going to increase the harvest of your righteousness, which shows itself in active goodness, kindness, and love. Verse 11. And so you will be enriched in every way so that you may be generous. And this generosity administered to through us is producing thanksgiving to God from those who receive benefit. Now here's the win-win situation. Number one, He multiplies what you sow so that you are fully resourced. Come on, it's good news. Number two, He creates a spirit of generosity in your life. That's becoming more like Christ, is it not? And then thirdly, he uses you as an instrument of divine favor that produces thanksgiving in someone else's life. That's influence. That's influence. One of the reasons why International Family Church has influence and its name is heard around the nation, why Jonathan Del Turco, his name is heard around the nation, it's because of the spirit of generosity. I don't know anyone more generous and gracious than our pastors, Jonathan and Verna Del Turco. And their heart is what's in this ministry. That's where God wants to take all of us. He wants us to be the most gracious and generous people in New England. Can you say amen?
And it's a win-win situation. There's no one up here behind this pulpit manipulating you, throwing gadgets, uh, not gadgets, gimmicks out your way. If you do this, God's going to do that. None of that here. You know when giving has taken hold of your life, it's because God has had an encounter with you and you've responded to that encounter. And the Holy Spirit is moving and working in your life. Anyone who's had a move of the Spirit, they become generous people. They become gracious and kind people. That's what God has for all of us. So I want to encourage you as we close today. I want to remind you what Pastor Mo shared with us this morning during offering time. That we have this great opportunity. This is a great opportunity for you to practice. Let's be a blessing to the Dream Center in Honduras. Let's be a blessing to these local charities that we're reaching out to. Let's be a blessing to our young parents who are, you know, having lots of babies. <laughs> Amen. We have that opportunity. We want to give you that opportunity. Join us. Practice generosity next week. We'll be taking up that offering next week, so I want to encourage you to do that. Amen, church? Amen. If you've never practiced giving... Here's a great opportunity for you to practice giving. It's not about the amount. It's about you responding to the Spirit of God in your heart. He wants to bring you down this path of being liberal, being generous, being gracious, getting your eyes off yourself. That's when deliverance comes, when you get your eyes off yourself and your problem. You start getting more concerned about God and what He wants to do for others. Isn't it something when God told Job before his deliverance came, pray for the deliverance of your friends. It wasn't until he got his eyes off himself and on the three counselors, by the way, who gave him bad counsel to forgive them and bless them that God turned around and restored double. There's a secret in that. We got to get our eyes off ourselves and get our eyes on God and others. Jesus, others, and you. That spells joy. Amen. Hallelujah. Paul's final words. And you know, when someone gives their final words, it really says a lot. Paul's final words to the leaders that he led at the church of Ephesus before he headed to Rome in his ultimate execution, he said to them, remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. He's citing the words of our master Jesus who died on the cross for us. It's more blessed for us to give than to receive. So that's your end game. That's where you want to shoot for. Maybe you're not there. That, that's okay. But begin to practice. Practice generosity. Amen. Did you receive that today? Amen. Father, we thank you today. We thank you for your word today. We thank you for the, the work of grace that you're doing in each and every one of our hearts today. Lord, we want to be more like Jesus. We want to emulate his character. We want to be uh, have influence in the lives that are around us. We want to be a blessing. So we put ourselves in your hands, Father, and we say, make us a blessing. Go ahead and say that to the Lord. Make me a blessing. Make me a blessing in Jesus' name. While every head is bowed and every eye closed, I'd like to extend an invitation here today. Someone who gave his life for you, his name is Jesus. He gave it all for you so that you could have life and life more abundantly, so that you could have peace, joy, provision for your life, so that you could have a hopeful future, so that you could have eternity secured for your life. You're here today. Maybe this is your first Sunday. Maybe you've been visiting with a friend and, and you're just kind of checking us out. 
I want to encourage you. There's someone who loves you, someone who died for you, someone who shed blood for you because you and I were in that place. We were sinners before God. We needed a Savior. If you're here today and you never prayed a simple prayer to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment, and I want you to join me in that prayer. I'm not going to call you up to the front or embarrass you. I just want you to open your heart and respond to the gospel message today. God loves you. He has a future for you. And Jesus died so that it could be a reality in your life. Take a step right now. Open your heart. Say yes to God. Say yes to his son. Let him come into your life. He'll cleanse you. He'll forgive you. He'll heal you. He'll restore your life. He'll bring purpose to your life. He'll give you a divine sense of purpose for living. While every head is bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask right now, if you're here today and you never prayed that prayer and you'd like to pray that prayer with me for the very first time, just raise your hand so I can see who you are. There may be someone watching online today that you'd like to pray this prayer as well. Is there anybody here in the second service you need Jesus in your heart? I see that hand, young, young man. Thank you. I see that hand toward the back, young lady. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes, I see that hand up front. Thank you, sir. You can put your hand down. The Spirit of God is here and He's touching hearts. Don't leave today without accepting Jesus. He loves you very much. He doesn't take from your life. He gives into your life. Is there anybody else that would like to pray this prayer? One last time as I ask. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. All right, let's all stand. And together as a congregation, for those three hands that, you, that were raised today, we're all going to pray this prayer out loud together. And so as I lead you in prayer, I want you to pray this after me. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yes. Pray it boldly. Mean it from your heart. God knows right where you're at today. Say this after me. God in heaven, God in heaven. I, believe I believe that you sent Jesus, Jesus. to die on the cross. For my sins. Jesus, I accept you. Come live in my life. I give you my life. And from this day, I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the very... Thank you for listening to the International Family Church Podcast. Our mission at International Family Church is to help you know God for yourself, to find freedom in your life, to discover your God-given purpose, and help you make a difference in the lives of those around you. Our monthly growth track called Next Steps will help you grow and reach your full potential so that you may start to be a blessing to those around you. Come join us next Sunday to discover how to take the next step. Thanks again for listening.